um, training in that area, but I haven't been able to move away from prayer. So evidently, prayer is still an important part. The body of Christ still needs to be able to implement and put prayer to work in their lives. Amen? Let's look at 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 2. This will be a familiar scripture verse, I'm sure. It's not that we haven't hit the prayer scripture verses <laughs> a number of times, but 1 Timothy 2, uh, verse, verse 1. First of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity that is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, verse 4, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So our primary responsibility is to pray for those who are in authority, in authority positions, so that we can live a quiet and peaceable life. Amen? A peaceable life. Meaning, you know, when there's a place of, when we're in a place of peace, everything is prospering. Everything is, uh, um, is good and, and the gospel is free to be preached and demonstrated and, and made known. Amen? Okay? As a prayer warrior, uh, we enable God's plan to manifest here through prayer. Amen? God's plan. God's plan. So in doing that, basically we're, we're, going to rule and reign here because see, if we know God's will and we pray in God's will, God's plan, then who's ruling? God is. Amen. God's ruling through us because we're praying his will here to manifest on earth. So, and that's what God wants. He wants to be able to rule and reign here. He's left us in a position and he's given us authority. He's told us we are priests and we told us we're to rule and reign here. So as we pray, we're going to be stepping off his will and his authority. Whether we're praying for those who are in authority position or we're praying for our next door neighbor, we're going to be doing God's will and God's ruling. Amen? Okay, so so um, we're enabling, through prayer, we're enabling his plan and his will to manifest here through our prayers. That's why prayer is so important. Prayer is 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 so important to the body of Christ in the church. It is, it is your lifeline. It's your lifeline to God. Amen? It's, the, it's the, your primary function here, other than praise and worship, which is all, all together, incorporated together. Prayer. Prayer. And so we need to learn how to pray effectively, fervently. Um, so let's look at um, Romans 10. 10, 10, 14. And the reason, I want you to look at this. 10, 14. That it's so important that we pray so that there's, there's that peace and that um, authorities that are in the position, that we have a godly authorities in our in position so that things like what's happening in California to the church where they can't even have church, they can't come together for church. They can come together. I mean, they can watch it on whatever, online. I know they can do that, but you know the difference of watching it online and being here together in fellowship 
There is a difference. God inhabits his praises. There's a difference of all, all of us coming together because we bring each, each one of us brings our part to play in the service. Each one of us working together, we bring our part to play. Amen? It's the body of Christ that's working together to accomplish his will. Amen? God wants all people saved. They cannot be saved unless the truth is preached. Romans ten fourteen. How then shall they call upon him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How, how's, how is the unsaved going to hear without a preacher? Now, I mean, you, you can go and tell and, and you be preaching the word of truth. But how are they going to know? That's why it's so important that we have the freedom to be able to go and preach the gospel. We have, we have to have that freedom. So that's why we've been fervently praying for the righteous terrain and the unrighteousness to strongholds to come down. The corruption to leave. The corruption. God's tired of the corruption and he's tired of the sin in the church. And that's why you're seeing some sin exposed already in the church. You're seeing that happen because God's tired of it. He's not going to put up with it any longer. Not that he's angry or mean, but he's just got other things he's got to get done. And that's got, he's got to bring that, that revival fire for the church to be ready to share the truth with the, with those who are unsaved. Um, so is it, is it easier to pro- proclaim the gospel in a godly government or an ungodly government? Which is easier? Godly government. Godly government, it's easier to proclaim the gospel and share the truth. You've seen that already, you know, because there's there's um, just different things that has taken over our country that if, if the church was in their right position, those things should not have happened because the church is supposed to rule and reign, not the ungodly people in this world allowing abortion, allowing... Um, um, one sex marriage, allowing all those things, that's not, that's not God's design. That's not God ruling. It's the, it's the world and the enemy ruling. Amen? Um, okay, so I, I think I, I pretty much explained this, but I got it wrote down here that I got a glimpse, I believe, of God's plan, and that's the church comes alive to prayer, and then the church sets the godly authorities in position which we need the godly authorities. We need them not only in our government, but in our in our state government, in our local government as well. You know, we need that as well. And so uh, prayer carries so much authority. Prayer will rearrange, will change, it will deliver, it will heal, and it will make a difference in our government, whether it's state, federal, or local, okay? And then after uh, the godly authorities are set in place, then... There's the freedom for the gospel to be preached. The freedom for the gospel to be preached. And there's revival. Okay, all right. Um, so so one of the one of the things that, that I see as a is kind of a downfall for for the church is that it's hard for the church to see themselves being able to bring a change, especially to the federal government. How many of you recently have stepped in to pray and it's hard for what is my one little prayer going to do to change this whole thing going on? 
It's your prayer and your prayer and your prayer and your prayer. It's everybody doing their part in prayer that's going to bring a difference. And so your mindset has to be when you go into prayer. It has to be, doesn't it, it can't be weighted down by all of the things or the burdens that's going on, everything that's going amiss or awry in, in the election, all of that. You, you can't be weighted by that. You have to know that you know that you know God has ordained prayer and God will change things when pr- prayer, effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It's miraculous and it's working. So you have to know that when you step into a place of prayer, you have to know that your prayer is going to change whatever you, whatever he's calling you to pray about, whether it's the election or whether it's a government official or whatever. You have to know, if you know God's will, if you know God's will in the situation, you have to know when you step into prayer and you pray God's will, it is going to change. That's the mindset you have to have. You have to have that mindset. You have to. If you don't have that mindset, you're defeated already. You're already defeated. We don't want that, do we? So, so you have to have, and, and so we have to have that attitude or that mindset that when we, when we go into prayer, that we know God's will, that it's going to change when I pray effectively. Amen? Okay, so um, we're going to talk a little bit about, there's some of the things we're going to talk about. I want you to be able to uh, pray effectively, okay? Um, I want you to look at Matthew first. Matthew, a little bit more um, foundation before we talk about some of those things. But Matthew 5. This should be a motivator for you to pray to understand what is going on. Matthew 5. Oh, I was going to read that in Amplified. Okay. All right. Matthew 5. Verse 13. You are, that's you, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, its strength, its quality, how can its saltiness be restored? It is not good for anything any longer but to be thrown out and trodden underfoot by men. And the men there are the ungodly men. Ungodly men. So can you see where the church has been trodden down by ungodly men? Lately, can you see that where the church, where the church, uh, the whole earth, basically, ungodly men have been running this country. Ungodly men have been dictating what what we're going to believe and not believe. You know what I'm saying? Ungodly men have been doing that. And that isn't the case anymore because if the church, if the church and the church should rise up and take its place of in this position of authority, then it won't be ungodly men running. It'll be godly men that will be running this country. Amen. Amen? And so salt has two functions. Most of you probably know this. Now, salt is a preservative, and they used that a long time ago to preserve the meat. Now, that was before my day, believe it or not. I didn't notice that. <laughs> I wasn't around at that time. So so anyway, and, and, and salt gives food flavor. Most of you probably know that. So um, so anyway, to preserve the food, or the meat mostly, 
uh, was before refrigeration. And um, so our, our and and it kept the meat from being corrupt, becoming garbage, basically becoming corrupt. So the church, I believe, the church has lost its saltiness, and is not able to stand and and hold back the the moral decay, the corruption, the uh, political corruption, um, until. See, and the church needs to be coming against that and holding that back. The church needs to have its salt back, and so it needs to have that um, uh, needs to have that flavor and that and that uh, ability to hold or stand against the corruption in this world. Amen. And so let's look at um, so what do we do? So if the church is being thrown under and trampled, what what, what should the church what is the church going to need to do to come out from underneath that? Rise up and pray. Up and pray. Yeah, I think that's... Let's look at Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles 7.14. Again, this is amplified. And this gives you the step-by-step what you need to do. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves... Pray, seek, crave, and require of necessity my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. And heal their land. So the first thing we have to do is, if my people, are you his people? We have to humble ourselves under his mighty hand. In First Peter it says, we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. We resist the devil, and he flees from us. We don't have. We haven't been given authority to stand there and do nothing about it. We use our authority in prayer, and then we use our authority in the natural if we have the opportunity to. Amen. So, so we are supposed to humble ourselves. God, see, God's opposed to the proud, and First Peter says, but He gives grace to the humble. So, our position always in prayer, always in prayer, not just for praying for the government, but always in prayer as a place of humility. Is a place of humility, knowing that we can't do it by ourselves, but we need God's help. We need his intervention. Always a place of humility. Okay, then it says to pray. If my people are called by my name, will humble themselves. Pray, seek, crave. Praying isn't just up and you're done. Praying is spending time seeking him, finding out what his will is, finding out what he's saying. You may come into prayer and think, I'm going to, I'm going to pray about this today. Let's say, let's say, for example, I need to, I need to get that, that mole <laughs> out of the White House. I'm waiting for him to show up. But got, I got a clue, a little bit of a clue. Anyway, and so I may come into prayer and say, Lord, I just break the power. I want you to expose that. But, you know, God may have something else that's more urgent that he needs prayer about. Than me, so that's why it's then what I think I need to pray about. You understand what I'm saying? So that's why it's really important that we hear from God when we go into prayer, and we pray what God wants prayed about, not what we think we need to pray about. Okay? Yes. Um. Well, sometimes I mean, if you're Anyway, (laughs) Um, um, 
Well, yeah, praying in tongues. If you hear his will when you're praying in tongues, then you need to vocalize it. A lot of times people are praying in tongues and all that's going on, I'm not saying that's you or anything, but all that's going on is they're just building their inner man up. They're, they're praying in the spirit and building themselves up. There, there has to be that. Um, it's just another step further into that. But so, so practice hearing his will when you're praying in tongues. Practice hearing that and then pray that out in English. Okay? Okay, does that, that answer your question? Okay. All right, so we want to pray. And then, then it said to seek. It's time of seeking for something for someone. Uh, seeking uh, says to pray, seek, crave, and require of necessity my face and turn from those wicked ways. Okay, turn from the wicked ways anyway back to a time of seeking. Ask for something from that seeking means to ask for something from someone. And, and um, God has the answers. God is the only one with the answers. And see, when you pray in your prayer language, like Jeff was saying, God will get that effective way to pray about that situation over to you. Because see, God wants his will manifesting probably more than you do. So if he knows he's got somebody that's sitting down and praying, he's going to get that over to you. And then you pray that out in English. And then when you pray it out in English, the angels hearken to the word of the Lord and they go do it. See, So that that's why it's really important that we... We do pray that out in English. Now, groaning and travailing is a groaning and travailing is a another subject. <laughs> it's groaning and travailing is is um, oh boy, um, groaning and travailing is just a, a going a little bit deeper with your prayer language, and it's actually groaning and anguish and travailing and birthing. It's it's all kinds of things going on at that time which I believe um, anybody can do that at any point in time that God wants you to do that. Um, okay, so then it says to um, it says, seek my face and turn from the, their wicked ways, then I will hear, hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. So um, the wicked ways there are, are prayerlessness. The church is... The church is responsible because there's no prayer going on. So that's something that the church needs to repent of. Okay? And and also, the church is responsible for Mark 16, for preaching the gospel, laying hands on the sick, casting out devils, and speaking with new tongues. The church is responsible for that. If the church isn't doing that, then the church needs to repent again. Okay, and another thing, um, another thing, if the church is not demonstrating their right standing position. You know what I mean by that? A righteous position? See, the church is responsible to demonstrate who they are in Christ. They're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The church is responsible to demonstrate that. If you don't demonstrate it, then you need to repent. And if you've not demonstrated it in front of somebody, then you need to repent to them. You need to ask them to forgive you. We need to be demonstrating righteousness so that we're not repelling those that are lost, but we're drawing people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Okay? So we need to be drawing those that are ungodly. 
and we need to be demonstrating righteousness. And if, if there's an area in your life that you're having a hard time demonstrating righteousness, then I would get busy and pray in your prayer language. I would get busy and pray and seek the Lord, build yourself up so that you're able to withstand the weakness in the flesh. Well, let's just go there to Romans 8. So you're able to withstand the weakness in your flesh. See, it's a weakness in your flesh that allows, allows that unrighteous thing to manifest itself. Romans 8. And see, um, see, it's just as, it's as simple as we want to make it or as hard as we want to. And the reason we make it hard is we don't want to deal with the sin in our life. That's why it's, why it's hard. Because we don't want to change. Because we think that if we change, we are losing something. But we're not losing anything. There's a blessing on the other side of changing and becoming like Christ. It's a blessing. There's a blessing. I don't know of anybody that doesn't want to be blessed. When you go to the store with your parents, now you older people have to think back a little bit. When you go to the store with your parents, didn't you want something all the time? Didn't you want to be blessed? Didn't you want a toy? Can I have this? Can I? I mean, I was just around grandkids. Can I have this? Can I have this? Can I have that? And you want to bless them with it. See, you want to bless them with it. Well, that's why, that's what we want to, that's what God wants to do. He wants to bless us. And the reason he can bless us is because we're doing what he tells us to do. We're living out his commands. Amen. And so, so that's what we want. So it's not hard to change. What's, what's hard is to not change. I mean, I, it, that's what's, I mean, I can look back in my life and I can see places of where, where, you know, I resisted for a while. Well, when I finally yielded over to what God was wanting me to do, there was a blessing, a, a tremendous blessing from God on that because I did that. Basically, the thing that stops us from changing is fear. Fear. And all it is is just a big smoke screen so that we'll not walk it out. It's just a big smoke screen to keep you from the blessing. To keep you from the blessing. It can be a fear of what people think. It can be a fear of what your parents think. It can be a fear of what, what's somebody going to think if I, if I actually act right? If I act like Jesus, what's somebody going to think? We don't, you know, we don't care what they think. They're headed to hell. You're headed to heaven. The change, the, the difference is you've got the answer and they need it. That's the difference. Amen? Okay, I wasn't in my notes. Okay, let's see here. Where are we? Okay, so so conditions for answer prayer. The things that the things that we, we want our prayers answered, right? And right? I didn't hear only but one. <laughs> okay. I, I thought so. So say I, I just opened up and I said prayer is a lifestyle. It is a lifestyle. It is a lifestyle. You know, there's some days that prayer is all day for me. You know, somebody on the phone, somebody here, prayer at night, it's all day. But, you know, I love it. The more I do it, the more I want to do it. The more I do it, the more I want to do it. Because I know it's bringing a change in what I, when I'm praying. And that's what we want. We want to be able to pray effectively. You know, Elijah prayed it said in James that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplish, 
accomplishes much, or it's miraculous and it's working. So Elijah, he prayed effectively. If you go back and you look, and I had studied that out, but that isn't part of my lesson. It didn't end up being part of my lesson today. Well, although it is, I'm talking about it, isn't it? But anyway, Elijah, you know, if you go back and look at the different times he prayed, he he had no doubt at all because he knew his father and he, he would talk to him about this or that. And he prayed and um, changed, things changed, things changed. Anyway, prayer is a lifestyle. The more you pray, the more you want to pray. <laughs> The more you pray, the more you want to pray. Can anybody testify to that? I mean, we've been doing this. We've been doing this uh, seeking time now for for a while, and um, I definitely can notice a difference, you know, in that myself. Um, prayer is the ability to change a wrong situation and bring a victory out of it. Anything that's going the wrong way, anything that's going against God's will, that's not God's will. You can pray and cause it to change. Amen? Um, okay, so God wants us to pray and get what we pray for. Let's look at Luke. Luke. I want you to see um, what kind of a, a father you're serving. Um, sometimes sometimes we have a, a wrong image. It's uh, Luke 18. Sometimes we have a wrong image of uh, who, of what God is or, or how he treats us because we've had a bad experience with, our, with a father or with a male figure. And so we take that and we transpose that onto God. And we think God is the same way. We think God is mean or God's going to reject me or God's going to hurt me or he's going to yell at me. He's going to make me feel bad, but God isn't that way at all. If you know him, you'll know he's not that way. If you know him. So this is, this, this, we're into some of the, the things that we need to do to, to, uh, make sure we get our prayers answered. And then we have to have a better image of who God is. Like we were talking about a little bit ago, but let's look at, um, Luke 18. Um, let's see. Well, that's not right. Um, well, let's see. I, I think. Let's see. No, that's Dungeon's Judge. It's got to do with. Let me go back just a minute here. Hang on, folks. Let's see. Nope. Well, anyway, um, I will just give you, it's got to do with the prodigal son. Does anybody, does anybody know exactly what? Hmm. Is it 15? I think you're right, because I changed that to an 8, and I meant to start with verse 18. Okay. Okay, 15, 18 then. Okay, yeah, we can start there. Um, this is about the prodigal son. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me as one of your hired servants. 
course, you know, the prodigal son had gone, spent all the fortune that his dad had given him, and he ended up was um, serving uh, somebody with taking care of the sows, and he was so hungry, he started eating the pig food. Amen? Verse 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me as one of your hired servants. Verse 20, so he got up and came to his own father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with pity and tenderness for him, and he ran and embraced him and kissed him fervently. That's the kind of father we serve. Now, can you, can you picture that father probably was praying for that son, standing in the gap and interceding for that son? Can you picture or sense yourself the, the, the excitement of seeing that son come home? The excitement of seeing that son come back to the Lord. The excitement of that. Can you, can you, cause you've been groaning and travailing and praying and, and seeking the Lord and praying God's will for that son. And that here, here you see that son coming. Wouldn't you be hugging and kissing him fervently, huh? Verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I no longer deserve to be recognized as a son of yours. But the father, verse 22, said to his bond servants, bring quickly the best robe, the festive honor robe, and put it on him and give him a ring for his hand and sandals for his feet. And bring out that uh, fatted calf and kill it and let us revel and feast and be happy and merry because this is my son. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to revel and feast and make merry. And, of course, the older son was jealous. But anyway, I just want you to see God doesn't hold it against you. God doesn't reject you if you miss it. As long as you repent and ask him to forgive you, he loves you. He accepts you. And you have to have that kind of a picture of God when you come before him in a time of prayer. You have to have that. You can't have God's a mean God. God's uh, um, not very nice. You can't have that. Uh, he wants. He's going to reject me. I'm not. He's not going to listen to what I what I'm asking him. You have to have that kind of a, an attitude. Okay. God loves you, and He won't reject you. Um, okay. So let's look then at um, Matthew six eight. Matthew six eight. And I'm I'm. Matthew 6, 8. I'm probably not going to give you all these scripture verses, but uh, we're going to do Matthew 6, 8 for sure. Okay, so we we need to ask. I think it's really important that you know that you ask God. And um, therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Do you know your Father knows everything about you? He knows what's going on in your life. He knows when you're sad, when you're happy. He knows what's going on with your family. He knows everything about you. But see, it says here, even though he knows, you still have to ask him. And that's the part I was gonna I wanted to drive home. And then just flip over here to Matthew seven seven. You still need to ask. Matthew seven seven says, Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. Those are all three positive statements that God said. If you ask, if you ask, it will be given to you. If you seek, 
you will find it, and if you knock, it will be open to you. Now verse 8 says, For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it shall be open to you. Now if you want to write down the rest of these scripture verses, I'll read them off, but they're all asking scripture verses. The important important and why i mean i've said this before but the reason i emphasize this a lot about needing to ask is because i've had people um i've had uh, people just uh, basically poo poo me i had a large group of women and i taught on asking uh in prayer and that we needed to ask you can't just sit there you've heard me say that you can't just sit there and that's not prayer don't let anybody tell you Mental thinking is not prayer. Mental thinking. Mental praying in tongues is not prayer either. And so, but I, I taught that and um, they didn't like it. So, um, anyway, they, they were used to religion and religion sits, doesn't say anything. And I've told you before, like if I wanted to, the salt passed at the table and I, and I never said anything, do you think I'd ever get the salt? Or if I asked for the pepper, if I asked for the mashed potatoes, I would have never got them last Thursday if I hadn't asked for them. See, God says to ask, even though he knows what you have need of. He says to ask. So religion doesn't want you to ask because religion knows if you don't ask, you're not going to get it. You know, religion knows that. All right, so I can give you those scripture verses if you want to write them down and look them up. It's good to look at these scriptures up, scripture verses up so that you know God says to ask. Mark 11.24. Let me know if I go too fast. John 14.13-14. John 15.7. John 16.24. In Psalms 91:15, and I'm sure there are a lot more. I just I just jotted those down. 91:15. Mm-hmm. Okay. The next thing is important is that being submissive to God's will. A lot of people will pray a prayer, but they are not necessarily praying God's will in the situation. So we we always want to pray um, pray the will of God, and you'll see that in First John. First John 5, and we use this one a lot on Wednesday nights. First John 5, 14 and 15. And this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask, there's the word ask again, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Verse 15, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. I think ask is in there quite a few times, isn't it? <laughs> so praying God's will. So if if we can pray God's will, then we know we're confident that he hears us. And if we're confident, then we know that we have the thing that we've asked him for. Okay, that's really important. And um, in Matthew 26, Matthew 26, Jesus demonstrated. He would pray. Remember he prayed and he said he was in the garden he said, Lord, this cup, if, if you could just take this cup from me. And, and that's Matthew 26, uh, verse 
39 and um, 39, and he went a little beyond them, means the disciples, uh, and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as thou wilt. And then verse 42, and he went again a second time and praying, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, thy will be done. He was in agreement with his will, with God's will being done. So when we pray a prayer, we have to be in, we need to know his will and then be in agreement um, where his will is concerned. Um, that's where praying in the spirit, and we looked at that already, or did we? No. I had us turn to Romans, and I never talked about it, did I? Romans 10, Romans 8, I'm sorry, Romans 8. Praying God's will, praying in the Spirit. You pray to get God's will, not yours. And that praying in the Spirit will help you know what God's will is. Praying in the Spirit will help you know what God's will is. And so, um, verse 8, Romans 8, um, 26, 27. And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Okay? According to the will of God. And see, that Romans, that whole, that's what we were talking about a little bit ago. If you're dealing with, if you're dealing with a, a, a problem in your life, whether it's fear, whatever it is that you're dealing with that's not God in your life, then you can get rid of it. Don't be afraid to deal with it. But Romans 8 here says uh, in verse 13, if for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. The flesh must die. But if by the Spirit you're appointed to death, the deeds of the body, you will live. You mortify the deeds of the flesh. You mortify the deeds of the flesh by praying in the Spirit. You pray in the Spirit, you build yourself up, you give your spirit man ascendancy, and the flesh then has to take a back seat. You know what I mean? Your flesh has to take a back seat. So you pray in the Spirit, building yourself up, and the Lord reveals to you, you have a, you have a spirit of fear. And you deal with that spirit of fear and command it to go. In Jesus' name. And then you start walking it out. You start walking it out. Now, if you back up and stop praying in the Spirit, and you give place to the flesh again, you'll have to start that process again. Amen? Does that make sense? Does that make sense? How to deal with that? Okay. So the other, another thing, you have to have faith. Faith. Um, when you pray a prayer. When you pray a prayer, you have to believe. And we just looked at First John five fourteen and 15. That if we if we pray according to His will, we know that He hears us, and if He hears us, we know we have what we've asked Him from for. And so we can have faith in that aspect that if we pray according to His word, then He's going to do it. And that's easy. That's that's faith. You understand that? Okay. Okay. It enables you to know and have faith. Um, eleven Hebrews eleven six. Hebrews 11.6 And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. So if you're going to come to God in prayer, 
You must believe that he is and that he is going to reward you when you pray in line with his will. Amen? Okay, we're also supposed to pray in the name of Jesus. How many of you know that? When you pray a prayer, you just don't pray a prayer. You pray it in the name of Jesus because you're standing in his place, in his position of authority. You pray in the name of Jesus. You're standing in that place. And that prayer, that scripture verse is John 16, 23, 16, 23 and 24. It says, and in that day you will ask me no question. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you shall ask the Father for anything, Uh Uh-oh, we just saw another word ask there, didn't we? He will give it to you in my name. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be made full. Amen? Ask. Ask, ask, ask. Um, my, My message wasn't around the word ask. My message is around helping you to become effective, fervent prayer individuals. Praying in line with God's will. And, and um, Hebrews 4.16. Let's just look at Hebrews 4.16. Probably won't look at all the scripture verses. I'll give you the second the second one of the rest of these. I have two for everything left. Um, Hebrews 4.16. Um, Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. You know, when you come into a place of prayer, you, you can be confident in coming right in. Bold, bold, coming right into the throne room and talking to God. Just like if I come right up here and into Marsha's presence, I can talk to her right there. You can come to God and talk to him as if he's your best friend. Your best friend. Okay? And um, if you don't have it all right to begin with, still pray. God will help you change and correct what needs to be done different. But I am helping you with it right now by telling you truth. So you're held accountable for a little bit. So anyway, we can we can come boldly into his throne of grace. And then we can come without condemnation. Psalm 66, 18 um, says that uh, if you have iniquity in your heart, God will not hear you. If you have sin in your heart, God won't hear you. If you have sin in your heart. And if you're spending time in fellowship with him, He'll, he'll show you what the sin is. He'll show you. Or you won't be able to go into the throne room. Okay. Um, that that also with that scripture versus 1 John 3, 21 through 22. And the boldly, the other scripture verse in bold uh, is Hebrews 10, 19 and 22. I go too fast. I know a lot of you are taking notes. Hebrews 10, 19, 22 is that boldly come to God with confidence and then without condemnation, 1 John 3, 21, 22. Right motive. Right motive. It's important that we have a right motive. James, let's just look at James. James 4. James 4, 2 through 3. You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. And you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not Ask. You don't have because you don't ask. You don't ask God. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own lusts or your own pleasures. 
So we have to ask God for whatever we ask Him with the right motive, our right heart. And the other one is First Samuel, if you want to write that down, First Samuel 16, 7. And that talks about how God looks at your heart. God knows your heart. God knows if you're missing it. God knows. Okay, and then and yeah, the last one is a place that we need to we need to repent, or we we talked about repentance, but we need to forgive people. Uh, and Matthew six twelve, and of course Mark eleven is probably that best one. Mark eleven, Matthew six twelve is the Lord's prayer. Mark eleven twenty five is um, and whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, see, you have a choice. There's always a choice in everything that you do where prayer is concerned. But if you want your prayers answered, you make a choice to do what God says to do. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive you your transgressions. So if you've got a, if you've got a place of unforgiveness in your life, and you know it. You know it if you do. <laughs> you know it if you do. You know if you have a place of sin in your life. You know it. And if, you, if you're spending enough time in fellowship with the Lord, if you're spending enough time in fellowship with the Lord, you'll know it. If you don't know it right now, when I speak it out, if you're missing it, if you're spending time in fellowship with the Lord, He'll let you know where you're missing it. He's that good. He wants you to know. He wants you to be right. He wants you to do what's right. He wants you to be a, a righteous example to uh, unbelievers because he needs all the help he can get. He needs the church. And, and, and so much of the church, so much there's, there's a lot of the church that's sitting in pews that aren't even born again, don't even know Jesus. I'm serious. There's a lot of the church and I've, I've said this before, Dick and I ran into it when we did the telephone evangelism. You know, people we knew were sitting in Baptist churches. We're not born again. Not born again. And so there's a lot of the church. Can you see the, the, a job that the church, the remnant that knows what, what is right and knows what the truth is and knows how to uh, uh, get people saved and knows the... Um, how to pray for people to be healed and delivered. Can you see the, the job that we have? When you, when you look at the church at large, you look at the church at large, and then you look at how much of the church is not born again. And then you look at how much of the church doesn't even know the Holy Spirit is in existence. And then you look at the church again, they don't even know that, that we've, we have an enemy called the devil. When you think about that, but we're not in trouble because <laughs> God knows God knows there's, there's what, what he's doing, what he wants us to do. And I, I, I'm more and more and more affirmed in my, inside of me that, that there is to be a training center here, a training center. And, and it just keeps, uh, it's very strong in my heart that, that we're to have a training center here to train up the body of Christ, train up. I mean, I could just go on and on about that. The church doesn't know who they are in Christ. The church knows nothing about the gifts of the Spirit. The church doesn't know how to pray effectively. So there's a 
a need for the training center, for a training center that will train, equip, and kick them out. No, <laughs> train, equip, and get them moving on what God wants them to do, you know? And Yes. That's really true. That's true. It's a sad state of affairs. Now you can understand why, why the salt has lost its flavor and lost its preservative, and why why the state of affairs is in trouble. I mean, coming out of trouble. I should say it like that. State of affairs. We're we're coming out of trouble. Amen. We're we're gaining ground and we're taking it back. Like I said last week, we're taking back what the enemy has stolen from the church. Amen. Amen. Father, we just want to thank you for your word that is alive and active. Father, that my heart cries for it to pierce the hearts of those who are here and those who aren't, Father. Pierce their hearts. Bring a a change, Father, in their lives. Bring a hope. Bring a a deliverance. Bring a healing. Uh, Bring your peace, Father, in Jesus' name. We just thank you, Father, that that you want us to pray and to be effective prayer, uh, effective fervent prayer warriors for you. And Father, that's what we want. We want to effectively pray to bring change, to bring deliverance, Father, to be able to pray. Because Elijah, Father, was a man just like us. And he prayed and the rain stopped for three years. So if he's like we are, we can pray and the rain can stop. Or we can pray and the rain can start when God tells us to. Father, we can do those things that are miraculous. Elijah prayed and, and uh, called God, asked God to bring the breath back into that small boy. We can do that, Father. If Elijah can do it, we can do it. We can raise the dead. We can bring healing and deliverance to those who are, are hopeless. And we just thank you, Father, that we have the opportunity to do that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.